So I'm recording now, so we might as well okay. uh, uh, jump jump right into it. Um, and yeah. uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing you say there about adaptability, mm. because I think I've I've never looked at life as being like I've I've I set out to do this and that's all I'm going to do. And yeah. at various points in life, life changes or or or, or the thing that you've been doing just stops stops existing or, or or whatever and it's always bugged me that people get stuck in that kind of rut and it's something i always liked about you you, you i always saw you saw you as an incredibly adaptable person from the day i met you i think so so i'm, I'm sort of interested in what your sort of general philosophy is to kind of adaptability well as you know i've, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to adapt <laughs> um yeah uh so the reason we're talking about this adaptability, um, really, um, a couple of days ago, I was looking at the BBC website and some journalist was writing about having done this um, contact tracing uh, course on Coursera. Um, right. And as, as you know, when uh, the coronavirus first became a pandemic one of one of my immediate um, concerns was um, the use of technology about our rights to privacy um, and so I was interested in what different governments would be doing as far as contact tracing um, goes and how, how it's going to operate and what kind of sacrifices society will make in the face of a pandemic. Um, you know, are we going to throw the baby out with bathwater? So mm -hmm. initially, initially, I started reading um, this article just because of an interest in the technology. But um, as, as I was reading it, the um, journalist was making a real, really good case about it being far more important to have human empathy. Um, is much more important than the actual technology per se. Um, I thought that's a very yeah. good point. Um, and obviously we'll talk about this later, but I've been studying some psychology and some philosophy. Um, and when I was thinking about it, I was thinking actually my job teaching English, um, all of these skills like empathizing with somebody um, asking open questions um, maybe you need to ask some leading questions but um, in the right um, circumstance um, because you're trying to be a detective you're trying to find out um, who they've come in contact with um, what symptoms they've been having um, and all I started thinking to myself actually I've you know, um, in skydiving, I'd sit down with someone who was having anxiety issues, and and so I would be doing some amateur psychoanalysis there. Um, then in my English teaching, I've always been interested in using what I've learned to make people feel safe and not feel that they're 
making an arse out of themselves when they're making a mistake with language learning and stuff like that. I started thinking, I've got all of these skills in abundance, so why don't I do this course? Um, so that when I go back to work, um, number one, when students are like asking questions about coronavirus, I'll be able to give them well-informed answers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I think that sometimes people, um, even my uh, uh, friends, have you know conflicting views and conspiracy theories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, where I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to actually have a grounded certificate to say, well, actually, <laughs> I I have studied this, and here's what. John Hopkins University's take on this is, and and so I'm speaking with that authority rather than just being another layman putting their finger in the pie, going, "Well, because I'm human and I've got an opinion, this is it, and you better bloody agree with me because I'm bigger, and I'll punch you if you don't agree with me." And, and I, so, I, I think <laughs> you, you you kind of nail a really important point, which I think is it it, it links to the adaptability issue which is when confronted with a problem rather than panic and run around and get angry and all, all, all of those things are natural reactions to fear right so vulnerability yeah. anger go around and, and 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 say things like oh god isn't it terrible etc cetera, etc cetera. but mm. to sit down and go I'm, i want to understand this i want to sort of take it apart as much as i can you know i'm not going to be, become a uh, 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 a specialist in epidemiology or whatever but enough that i have an understanding of this so that i'm not i'm not prone to that fear and and, yeah. and, and ignorance and, and so forth and then essentially that and and the thing you say about empathy is is the, then the willingness to want to be able to help other people with that or if you're in a situation where vulnerability anxiety and fear is presenting itself you can de-escalate that rather than escalate it and and it's something I've been thinking a lot about with teaching. I think I've been reading a lot, going over a lot on uh, motivational dynamics, you know, going back to DC and Ryan and, and, and stuff like that about, you know, having empathy as a teacher. And I thought about it a lot in this pandemic. You know, I've seen a lot of terrible, terrible practices in the university sector of like adding pressure being you know and 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 it's like everybody should sort of chill out a bit and have empathy because everybody's having a hard time or a different time but every there are a lot of professors out there who are going well it's difficult for me too and and i think having that empathy trying to understand a problem and also trying to help other people that ultimately makes you a teacher but it makes you a collaborator and that's the different and it makes you adaptable as a human being yeah sorry that was my little Couldn't. tying of thoughts there <laughs> You didn't even ramble then, John. I was expecting a right old ramble with that one. <laughs> right, let's get this thing back onto a ramble then. Yes, <laughs> I, I'll start stuttering more in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think so. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that, um, strangely enough, uh, the more I uh, got into the actual training and started thinking you know i'm really glad i've done this because perhaps um i i go and meet a language partner once a week um but i haven't for the last 
three months, I think. Um, pretty much three, three and a half months since we've met up. Um, but where I do it is um, in a community centre. Um, right. And this is also where um, local government people come if they need a foreigner to help them um, with a group activity where they need foreigners to help them practice something for the Olympics or whatever. Mm. Um, well, I know there's a lot of government connections where, um, with the people that work in the office at this community centre. So having done this training, I'll mention it to them next time I go there, which will probably be at the end of the week. Um, yeah. Uh, because I don't know if um, a Japanese person speaking English may be able to communicate that um, this foreigner has come into contact with a Japanese person. Yeah. Yeah. They they attended the same um, meeting um, or they um, were taking part in some activity. Um, maybe they were even on the train because, um, you know, like uh, in the UK, you use Oyster cars where we tap. Yeah. Um, well, on the train systems as well, there's like video. Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen a couple of sort of videos of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in Japan, if you were, say, traveling in the same carriage as someone who's been, become a case, who's contracted coronavirus, um, to get in touch with the other passengers, it's probably a lot easier um in japan i would imagine um i don't know i don't know how our local system works but um i can imagine that i lost my wallet in shinjuku about five years ago um this is the busiest um railway station in the in the world um right and so for oh no that's got my uh foreign residence card in it it's got my bank you know when you're absolutely buggered and you're thinking oh no but this is early <laughs> days and i heard rumors that in japan you tend to get things back but having not done this and i'm at in shinjuku world's busiest station uh oh <laughs> this is not a good situation uh, yeah. now you know, my japanese wasn't so good but it was okay um mm. but uh so i went to an office and did my best in japanese to say i'd lost my wallet um but as soon as i had communicated that um they asked me where i'd come from um all in japanese of course but um i could understand um their questions and, mm. and there's a lot to do with you can predict what's going to be asked, don't you? So I yeah, 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 yeah. I come from Chiba, and <laughs> the train time was, and saying the train time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they asked me what carriage number. Now, because I didn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a foreign Johnny. I'm not going to know what carriage I'm in. So I just struggle. Like, I don't know. What night? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so basically they, they start looking at all the different monitors and they're like rewinding and they go, oh, look, there's you. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah, 
course, as I'm getting off the train and putting on my coat, there's a wallet that falls out of the pocket onto the platform. So we now know that it must have been on that platform. And to me, it's probably still on the platform. Okay. And we're just about to, you know, he's, he's now identified where it is. And this, um, we're just about to head off when this guy comes rushing into the office, bowing profusely, head down, <laughs> offering this wallet <laughs> with both hands. Wow. I am humble. I am, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I've read about this, but it's an honor to actually be and, of help and serve. And, 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 and ha ha yeah, and having, having come from London at that point, that must have blown your mind because <laughs> that would never fucking happen in London. There's no money missing. <laughs> there's, yeah. you know, there's nothing. I want to give him money. I want to give the guy. Yeah. Like, some money to say thank you but no he won't take that because that's a dishonor to you know like i didn't do it for money i did it because i yeah, wanted yeah. and and, and that's great because that, that, that's great what, place, what a great country what lovely people uh, and and that's great because that that kind of shows like the positives of a surveillance culture that can then triangulate and pinpoint and that that is obviously the idea of any yeah. any covid tracker app it's really, I, I, I'm, find, I'm finding it really difficult uh, because both in Norway and in the UK, the apps that they've chosen uh, to use are not, uh, they are centralized apps and they have a number of kind of issues uh, around the way they store data and, and, and potentially the companies behind it. I'm, I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on the kind of decentralized versus centralized and Oh, well, particularly having done the COVID tracing course now. What, what, what's your sort of take? Not on? an expert. <laughs> Not really. Yes. Um, but yeah, my take on it is it, it must be a distributed system. Um, any, any system that is owned by um, any entity, um, whether that's Apple, Google, um, yeah. Microsoft, uh, a government, and any nation, I think, is going to be corruptible. It's going to be mis mistrusted. Um, I don't have faith in people um, uh, guarding the system for the system not being open to attack from a terrorist organisation, stealing identities, you know. And what what would be kind of interesting would be that if if say um no 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 we're not going to have a distributed system oh we, we need to know where our data is oh in, in this old way of thinking about data all right then you're now vulnerable to isis stealing people's identity well, yeah. also you I, can I actually used... on that system you can attack it and notify people that you have coronavirus you must isolate and mess about with business, mess about with an economy. You are so vulnerable. That's not the way well, to and, do it. And, and I, used, I used to be very ambivalent about the kind of data protection and privacy thing. I used to think sometimes privacy evangelists were like, oh, you know, if you've got nothing, I used to think like, if you've got nothing to hide, what does it matter? And I was very into oh, this yeah. kind of, yeah, you know, I was into tra transparency of social media. Mm -hmm. I was into kind of putting everything out there. 
and I, I mean, I, th- I think like over time that that kind of evolved. But what really hit me was when I moved to Norway, and and so what Nor- Norway has an incredibly linked system of like your healthcare system is linked with your personal identity. Like everything is linked, and lots of things are, are, are open open data. What happened to me is when I registered uh, to live here, they were putting me into the immigration system. And then I had to apply for uh, like the permit to stay to, to get a, a, a kind of basically a work number so that I could work here. And it was just taking forever. And I was going round and round in circles and the process. I was here for a year before I then phoned them up and kind of like what's going on. They were really rude to me and, and, and quite obnoxious. And I, could, I just couldn't understand what was going on because there's a really strong link between Norway and, and the UK. Mm. So I, for some reason, I had to go to the tax office. And I was talking about this thing about, you know, the e, the EEA agreement between Norway and the UK. And she turned around and said, is Sudan in the EEA? I was like, no, oh, yeah. what, what the hell Sudan got to do with it? And what had happened is when I registered in Norway, whoever put the data in, Sudan is just un, under Store Britannia, which is UK, right. on a drop-down menu. So yeah. I had been logged as Sudanese for a year. Right. And this data then filters through everything. And, and the amount of data corruption that had happened on my profile in Norway the first year I was here. So that kind of resulted in actually the first year of me living here not actually being recognized because technically I didn't. <laughs> they had to restart the process again, which meant actually getting permanent residency because you have to be here for five years took that bit longer. And, and all these things like like, my wife was married to me, but I wasn't married to her. Um, um, so, and it suddenly made me kind of go, it's not just uh, uh, corrupt agents, it's just bad data input in con- yeah. how it can fuck you up. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, anyway, so I'm kind of in favor yeah, sorry, of yeah. uh, distributed systems. Um, and actually, we're, you know, the guardian of our data should be us ourselves. Our mm. data should be in our pocket, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in a way, it's um, almost like a tweet um, when somebody gets um, uh, um, a positive test, um, then basically their token um is updated and it almost like just tweets out to every single token id that has been collected on their own device so in in effect we're not actually uh, sticking the data in a database as such we're actually the database is in our pocket but if i've been in uh close proximity to you um then after say 15 minutes your device picks up my id token on itself Mm. doesn't need you know so we're basically all walking around with our own personal database in our pocket if i get um a positive test result yeah then that app um essentially notifies everybody else with their tokens like a tweet sent out yeah and I, I don't understand. Well, I suppose I do. I, I'm, I'm really annoyed that there are governments that, because there are very clear 
decentralized protocols that they could have used. You know, MIT came up with one and various other people have come up with it. It's, it's there. It's perfectly plausible and possible to do. But they choose not to. And the danger of that now is it, it, it really worries me, like in the UK, that actually, therefore, the whole the whole idea of contact tracing won't work because the, the faith now in the government because of, of recent events is so low and then people start talking about the privacy concerns, then nobody's going to use it. So therefore, you know, it's a lost cause. And yeah. you're stuck with you're stuck with this thing going on for for, for ages. Okay. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's um, by the time they've actually dealt with the issue, trust from the actual society has evaporated. Nobody wants to use it. Nobody trusts governments. Um, and quite rightly, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. so which which, the, which then begs the question of, of like I I was sort of thinking about this from in terms of the collaborative and 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 teamwork thing, and I love that notion that that Rushkos has of like team human, and I do wonder like which route do people go if you can't trust your government to really govern you and protect you and that. That's the only reason they're there. Um, how, now, do you riot against that, which I think we see examples of happening at various places in the world, or does society kind of go, well, we're just going to kind of sort this out ourselves then? Because you could, like, like, I feel like in the UK right now, people are going to say, well, you clearly don't believe in lockdown rules, so we'll just do our own thing. Now, will they do the right thing to protect society or will they do the selfish thing which is like well screw everyone else i'm doing what i want to do and i i i don't know kind of how how that would go because it's interesting that individualism versus the collective it's a it's a fascinating um set of uh conditions we find ourselves observing um different cultures as well will will mm. um because i i feel like Jack, Jack... Japanese culture will work much more collectively, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's um, maintaining wa, um, yeah. which if you're familiar with Japanese culture, wa is very central, um, comes from the days when everyone was a farmer. Um, it's right. helping out your neighbours. It's helping out the people who are around you. That's why I get my wallet back and... Um, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, there's value in being good to the people around you, um, and I think that um, that uh, proliferates throughout um, Japanese culture in so many ways that you know, in in a, in a lot of respects, when I um, we, you know, as a foreigner, you do become. Uh, habituated um, in in Japanese culture and therefore you get this reverse culture shock whenever you visit your home country. You go, oh my, really? People are like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it also makes Japanese tourists very vulnerable to getting mugged when they go sightseeing because they just don't expect people to be wankers in quite yeah, yeah. Way as people that come from cultures where where this isn't the norm um but uh yeah um, certainly, um 
that's interesting. Like, do you, and in terms of like kind of what you've been reading about psychology and philosophy, mm. it's it's interesting because the, the, the philosophy, a lot of philosophical study and psychology is kind of very westernized but actually when you go right back into the history of it it's it's, it's very eastern and i'm just wondering kind of like where where, where do, do you think western philosophy is still kind of actually being acknowledged by western society or or I, I, yeah i just guess i'm interested in what, what's your philosophical and psychological <laughs> take on, on, on these things my word that's a yeah. difficult one. um right where do i where do i go with this one i was actually just wanting to before i get around to that because that is quite a big one yeah um yeah going back to where our initial thread was coming from about collaboration yeah because over the last uh month i suppose i've started collaborating with people and i was going to say that um this is something that i've learned during this period of time when there's been a pandemic going on in the world is that prior to the pandemic i used to really just work by myself if i've got a project i'll just do it myself in my own time without um, collaborating with other people. You know, maybe I would uh, touch base with you from time to time and say, hey, I've been doing this. What do you think yeah. of this? Yeah, for a bit of feedback. Um, uh, but, but largely, I think with, um, say, teaching English, it's like, well, you know, this is something where I've been gathering experience for a few years now and um, uh, so largely it would be something that I would be thinking about on my own and making notes on and stuff and this is where I started reading um, uh, Jordan Peterson's book which led to what was it um, from Peterson I went to Carl Jung and started yeah. getting into Jungian archetypes, that to Joseph Campbell. At the same time, we were talking about this pandemic, we are talking about Harari. Yeah. And all of these things seem to sort of, uh, what's the term, circumambulation of yeah, actually, yeah. not actually having a fixed goal of this is what I want to achieve during this, this pandemic, but well, this has kind of led me down that path, so let's explore where this goes, and, and you find yourself going, ah! Well... Oh, that's an interesting perspective. That's an yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. thing, and so along the way, um, one of my co-workers was saying, hey, um, I'm actually just going for a little walk around Chiba Park this morning. Uh, I know you want a social distance, but if we're social distancing, should we meet up, like remain a couple of meters or more away, whatever your comfort zone is? But yeah, it'd be lovely to see you. And I thought, well, this guy is a really, really awesome teacher. Um, let's sit down and, and catch up, like a safe distance, and I'll run some of these thoughts by you and and stuff and just get some feedback i really enjoyed that and then another one of my co-workers wanted to talk to me via 
like webcam it was like hey i'm putting a document together with what i'm actually doing have a look at this this is some ideas and we started talking about things like a hero's journey and mm. uh, i was like you know what they say about look the best way to become an expert at something is try and teach it to other people and so this is yeah. also what i was doing as well and cementing greater understandings and and stuff by actually explaining where I'm going and, and to cut a very long story short I absolutely loved collaborating it was like oh my god we we were able to play test an idea and get some feedback and go ah oh, and I wouldn't have thought of this without this person saying well what about this why could why couldn't we do that and I'm like ah oh, that's a really good idea and so I'm adapting again and here we are <laughs> adapting changing doing things that you yeah. wouldn't do ordinarily um I suppose I suppose one of the questions I have about that and there's a, there's a great saying in Norway lekaban lekabes which is like-minded children play best together and I do right. wonder like is the essence of collaboration having the trust and having having the uh, a sort of common language or even a common vision and actually the, what can sometimes happen in a workplace is that that that's missing and therefore you don't you know, i mean i i've worked with people who I, I just like you don't you don't have this even the same ethics or or the same ethos and that's that it's not that you as an individual can't work with people it's just you can't work with Ooh, people who are radically that. opposed to what yeah i did think that but then I thought about this. Okay, so um, I would consider my expertise to be learning technology um, mm. and uh, teaching English as a foreign language or a second language to people. I've become a bit more of an expert at that these days. Um, and I was thinking, right, okay, well, I've got some qualifications that might be useful for Japanese society, Japanese government, okay, um, and I'm also developing my own um, framework for teaching English myself, and now with collaboration of some of my co-workers. Now, Kevin in London would have probably gone, I don't trust my co-workers because they'll probably want to take my ideas and then try and make lots of money out of it for themselves they're going to steal my ideas and claim them as their own and they're going to go and get a promotion and go and do this i'm going to get fucked over for want of a better <laughs> expression and mm. so i wouldn't collaborate because i was always living in fear that someone's going to steal my genius idea and make money off my back and i don't want that yeah, yeah however yeah. i was thinking actually when i started thinking about my position in 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 japan with my skills and, and this that and the other i was thinking i'm in a lovely position because i really enjoy teaching that's what i want to do but i can let the Japanese government know that I've got these skills that they might find useful in the future. Um, I can talk to people um, that I work with and say, look, you know, I'm happy to give you my um, thoughts on 
what you're doing. Okay, I'm also happy just to be a teacher, just as I am. But um, let them come to me if they want me. Okay, I don't need it. Yeah, if I want to do something, yeah, I'm going to use my open framework to design my own teaching resources. But you know what? If you want to make the ones that I would make, then you're going to have to read A Hero's Journey. You're going to have to read Carl Jung. You're going to have to do all the studying I've been doing. Yeah, you're going to have to have my creativity. You're going to have to have my soft toys. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to be me to make what I want to make. And if well, that's, yeah. you can make whatever you like. But well, that, 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 and maybe that, that. So I'm not, I don't have anything to lose. It's all completely open. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 there's a great hypocritical tale, I don't know whether it's true or not, uh, of somebody going up to Picasso and saying, draw a picture of me. And then he goes, right, that'll be 200 quid. And they're like, 200 quid. It only took you five minutes. And he says, yeah, but it took me 30 years to get yeah. here. Do you know what I mean? To, to, to have that's all right. of that knowledge. And, da, da. and I, I think that, that, that that's very true. People... I, I don't like it when people say, oh, can we go for a coffee to to basically pick my brains about something? And I don't uh, mind doing it in a, in a collaborative thing, but when it's just a kind of vacuum can I have, on it. Can I have your answers to sell to my boss? Yes. <laughs> and and it, it's because, because I... A of coffee, and I'm going to get yeah. like $10,000. And the, 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 the trick is, my... I, I can tell you, what my thoughts are but you might not actually understand them because you don't have you don't have the 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 you know the the weird set of influences skill you know, do you know what I mean you, you don't have those things that got me you know you don't have the the the, the masters in yeah. learning tech and uh, and the experiences of filmmaking and there are all the 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 transnational things are moving around or hey and and what i'd love to say to people is and also you don't know kevin richardson <laughs> you know <laughs> because like this yeah. but there's so many things that i've learned about stuff that i would never have learned had we not had conversations Right. There's loads of stuff about UX and I there's loads so, of thoughts yeah. and consideration um, about stuff like that that I, I just wouldn't have probably delved into that. So, well, likewise, think, we, we both bounce ideas off each other. I, I think I learned a lot of um, uh, um, learning technology from you. I was more of a pure technologist. Um, uh, yeah, um, but then I got really into the learning technology, didn't I? So, yeah, I think we both um, learned from each other. I think, I think that, comes back, that comes back to that's what you need in collaboration, right? You need, you need like, it's really shit playing squash yeah. with somebody I, who can't you, play squash. Yeah, yeah. It's also really boring when all you yes. do is give, but you don't get anything in return. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're basically... <laughs> Someone can like basically be a leech, <laughs> yeah. But um, you soon find out that 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 leech can suck itself full, yeah, far yeah. quicker than I, it can drain me dry. <laughs> and, and and I I, th I think conversely, it's like when I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think about this when when working with students, 
about how you form a group for group work or a, a team. And one of the things that I kind of go through a lot on is you need a whole bunch of different skill sets in a team to pull something off. And then the key thing is, is also making everybody in that team aware, you know, this is Kevin's domain, this is John's domain, and 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 having appreciation for each other's skills. It, it, it's like, I don't know anything about football at, football at all, but I know that you cannot win a game of football if everybody is a striker. All righty, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you need people to pass the ball to Beckham to do the yeah, game. Okay. And, and, and it's knowing, knowing your role and the team has to have that goal rather than one. In, so if you've got an egotistical individual that wants to be the star player, it'll probably fall apart. Okay. Now, that's kind of bringing us back as well to the uh, duality of um, philosophical culture. Um, mm. where, we, where you were asking about what my thoughts were with Western philosophy versus Eastern philosophy. Mm. Okay. So just like you and me coming at um, learning technology from different backgrounds, your um, background was more um, television, media, um, yeah. and mine was more engineering, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and we met somewhere in the middle with um, quite kind of early day innovating within um, learning technology with video. Um, and I think the key source was that we were both curious. That was that was the thing. And yeah, what what can we do with this thing? Yeah. Mm. Now, there's often duality. Um, this versus that idea okay and sometimes that can lead to conflict and a lot of bickering and people getting nowhere right well mm -hmm. when i was doing this philosophy um course um i was fascinated by um something to do with emmanuel kant and a man called reed um now this might come into law a lot as well um but reed um is famous i think for his principle of credulity i don't know if that rings any bells mm -hmm. um whereas emmanuel kant was um more scientific and saying look you need evidence to support testimony whereas mm -hmm. reed was much more um of the opinion that people are generally good and they will tell you the truth yeah whereas kant was like <laughs> you know um you're having a laugh mate <laughs> you know um i i think that um kant uh wasn't uh, so trusting, he thought people should be sceptical, he thought that you should dare to think for yourself and not believe that, um, as Reed would have done, that, um, you know, people live in fear of uh, God and that the judge will be able to tell that that person's lying because, uh, look at him, he's, te he's telling a lie. Um, now, um, we went heavily 
into, you know, um, testimony. Um, and that was really interesting. Hmm. Um, I then thought about it and thought, ah, you see, this is, this was happening. I was studying this about testimony, about evidence at the same time where I have been corresponding to somebody who um, doesn't believe that coronavirus exists and thinks it's a bit of a conspiracy that the governments around the world are all in on it and um, you know because they've not seen it um, it's a bit like a, an old Trump supporter you know mm. um, uh, my, 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 my uncle used to say he didn't believe germs existed because he couldn't see them well right yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and it's infuriating to a scientist yeah. Yeah. Like, and I look at um, Anthony Fauci sitting, sitting there, with <laughs> over his head. Oh my! What is this idiot saying? And I feel for him. But as I was studying this stuff, I was thinking there are there's there's kind of a duality here. There are people who are like Reed saying. Well, if he says that's what is happening, that must be right. Yeah. And there's no point trying to convince that person otherwise. You can't win. No. So I just thought at the end of the day, let people believe what they want to believe. I know what I believe, and I'll just well, get it, on with that. And I'm it, happy. It's interesting because, again, like, like one of the things I learned... Uh, a while back about kind of uh, good, good kind of team culture is this, this idea, and which is essentially what you're talking about, the duality here, is, is advocacy versus inquiry. Yeah. So you, you can have a culture which is whoever advocates for a position, politics tends to be, however you advocate for a position and then people follow that, or you do inquiry, which is kind of look for evidence and listen to people. Now, the, the, there's, a, there's a bit of, of the testimony argument in both of those things. What's really interesting is uh, advocacy-led kind of approaches. It's kind of winner winner takes all often, and everything else loses. Whereas inquiry kind of is much more of a compromise. Yeah. And I think like we're we're in that sort of stage at the moment where where somebody can advocate for something, and like you say, like a Trump or a whoever, that populism is advocacy. Mm. And the problem with inquiry or scientific approaches, not everyone can spend the time doing the necessary inquiry and the necessary scientific thing, which is why we rely on, on, on media and academics and stuff to, 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 to put a narrative on this. And it's really interesting. Recently, I was, I've, I've noticed this trend where academics aren't calling themselves academics anymore. They call themselves science communicators, which is really interesting because they've realized mm -hmm. They've got to advocate for the science. They can't just publish the science. And that, that's not good enough because people can't disseminate it and, and, and understand it. So there's this, this sort of new role of people who are, you know, your populist scientists on TV, like uh, what's the guy who does astrophysics or whatever, Brian Cox. You know, he would be your yeah. typical science communicator. Yes. I think like yeah. we don't actually we have that in a, a number of walks of work, of life. We don't have the good science okay. communicators. So, so the best thing to be is be a Brian Cox 
take this ever so difficult um, science stuff that people who are not scientists cannot understand and thus uh, um, may decide I'm going to believe this because I'm more in Reed's camp of, well, he's a nice man. I like him. I like the cut of his jib. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah. If you're not a scientist, then, you know, if you are a scientist, you think that person's crazy. I mean, what? You, you don't get it. Um, but if you're sitting on the other side going, science, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. It's all a load of witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not having any of that. Then you can't. It's two sides who can't understand each other. Okay. It, it's um, something I learned on the psychology course called sublimation. Um, that's the displacement to activities valued by society. I thought, what a beautiful word that describes things mm. rather perfectly. This idea that you are going to think, well, society values this. Society values uh, guns. My, my right to bear arms. If society values that, then I might just go with that way of living and give the NRA some money and support my right to carry a gun, etc. Now, to someone who doesn't believe that, um, which might be myself, actually, because I, I think uh, carrying guns is a terrible idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have to look at what is valued by society. And in, in Japan, carrying firearms is not of value. We don't need no. them. It's not of value. So, of course, we think it's crazy to have a society where guns are prolific. I, I, um, I, realize, I realize through talking to a friend from Florida, and I'd never thought because the same thing is that you don't really need to carry a gun in, in England. Um, and therefore, it feels crazy to me. But when somebody from Florida explained, like, you know, you've got these large tracts of land in America. And, and you've got to remember that, that America is purely built on effectively the theft of land. It's like you <laughs> grab it and then protect it, right? Because it yeah. was a free-for-all. So, so yeah. if, if, if that's hired, hardwired into the society and then you live in the middle of nowhere, there's no police for thousands of miles and the history of your country is somebody could just rock up and take it from you, then yep. you're going to have a gun to protect yourself. That, that, when you think of it like that, it makes perfect sense. In the yeah. same way as if somebody attacked one of my children, I'd probably, my innate instinct is to want to hurt somebody. I, I get it when it's built into you like that way. But yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I was digressing, but it was just... It was just... No, it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. Now, now, the funny thing is, is that I've done these two courses. They're both kind of like five and six weeks courses I've, I've done them in a fair amount of time less but um that's because i've been at home the whole time so i was like oh okay i'll just carry on with this and do it in a what i did the 
I think the philosophy one I did it in something like three and a half, four weeks, and and the psychology one I did in two weeks, and that's actually a lot more work on the psychology course than the philosophy mm. course. Um, unbelievably good quality course actually. One thing that happened the whole time was that I've just learned about that on philosophy, and now I'm looking at the same kind of stuff. Uh, from a psychological angle, looking at mm. things from a different lens. Something that made me laugh out loud was this idea of a fundamental attribution error. Um, don't know if you've ever come across that. I, I, I have, but yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about you would probably have come across this with people recognizing an actor. Yeah. And thinking, oh, um, let's say it's Hugh Laurie, where he plays Dr. House. He must be a great doctor to know all that medical uh, terminology. And so mm. you can kind of like think that um, at some point, Hugh Laurie's probably um, going to be approached as, oh, oh, Dr. House, I think my daughter's got COVID-19 <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. and um, this is something that I think is going on in popularism throughout the world that um, because this person is playing the role of a president that yeah, people yeah. think they are a president <laughs> they are a president but they're not really a president I think it's a fundamental attribution error to take a clown um, reality TV star who's never really run a business successfully, never been um, an entrepreneur in the classic sense of someone like, I uh, guess, and, and um, never been a never been a politician been, either. Been or never been a politician, yeah, and. It's going to be an impossible job for any person to do, being the leader of a, a nation when there's a pandemic. Okay, nobody's mm. going to do it right. But you can um, be callous, uncaring, um, and damage your society completely by inaction and ineptitude. Um, so I, I, I felt very sad, but I've started to feel like maybe um, when they're wearing their little red hats that say, um, let's make America great, they are actually achieving that by dying. You know? <laughs> that's, the, that's, a, that's the quote. That's the quote of the podcast right there. I but think you... so. This is my final thought on the matter. Is like, thank you very much. You've you've come along with your bigotry and your racism, your xenophobia, all the things that I can't stand in a society. And hopefully, you'll have a lot of rallies where you'll all get yeah. together and you won't wear your masks because you're going to make your statement, and you can give each other 
the coronavirus and you'll all die out, leaving a much better society and America will become great again. Well done. You've done it. Yeah, no, that would be interesting that, uh, how how that is ultimately written into the history books. Of like yeah. that, that, it's that like arc. And death, it, isn't it? It's like the Black Death. The, or or, or like, like the people that got on, what was it? What group was it that got on the, the Vogon ship and the like the pens oh, the people yeah. with the pencils or something <laughs> and yeah. then it, it yeah, crashed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah it's like the, the the fire of london um you know but it, it's interesting i mean j just rolling back on a couple of things there i mean what one of the things we're talking about like science communicators and this like taking all the science and then communicating it to people to help them understand stuff i mean that is essentially what teachers are supposed to do right right like, we, we're, we as a body of people and i i really wish that teachers had to take a Hippocratic oath the same way that doctors do, but a Hippocratic oath to the pursuit of learning rather than the pursuit of information or grading or, or, or the, the organization of, of school. I wish we had to take a Hippocratic oath saying we put learning above anything else and, and nobody yeah. can sort of do that the way that doctors can. I think it's brilliant the way that doctors have that. Um, yeah. So then, and then it's interesting when in a pandemic and facing kind of all of these things, you and, 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 and millions of other people have, have, have taken that time to continue their learning and wanting to understand more because they've now got the time. And yeah. I do wonder, like, because I've always wondering about this sort of issue about, you know, do we all need to be working as much as we do? Is it healthy for society? And I wonder if like society was allowed to pause more like lots of people are reporting about you know never realizing they could enjoy being with family so much never realizing they could take the pleasure in, in simple you know we're starting to rediscover our humanity a bit and learning is an essential part of that and i i think like will we get to the point where we openly learn and it's not for the pursuit of grades or the pursuit of of, of, of so forth or to get the job promotion it's just to get better as a as, as a species i think and we yeah I think we're coming to the stage in human evolution where it's the um, revolution of garage band education. That, that we're saying to hell with the pompous prestige of I went to Eton and I mm. went to this particular thing. Although I've got to admit, when I saw that it was actually Yale University that did my. Um, uh, um, Your ology. My yeah. one of my ologies comes from Yale University. That's pretty prestige, isn't it? Yeah. Yale educated young man. Um, <laughs> I did have a wry smile, <laughs> thinking, I, I, I think um, that the actual quality of the um, education has been outstanding. And, mm. you know, it's deservedly got that prestige it's not just got there by clouting the politicians with um wads of money <laughs> have this and make us prestige no the, the 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 reason why this course was so good was because it was so beautifully put together um it really worked. Sure. It made the education come alive and i really saw value in that as you said that, I thought like, I, I was thinking back to the, the, the 
I always remember the day I interviewed you for a job. So um, I was just thinking, like, if I was interviewing you now or, mm. or in a few months' time, I really, uh, the kind of question I'd want to ask you is, what did you do during the pandemic? Because I think, I, think, I think actually it'd be really interesting to hear what people say because I think right. it gives you a great, like, like if, if, if somebody said, well, I, I sat and watched Netflix or... Well, I, you know, you would say, well, I studied some philosophy and some psychology. I, I, I mm -hmm. learned about uh, COVID tracking. Now, that's not to be judgmental against people who watch Netflix. That that could be your coping mechanism. Well, but it, it's it shows it does show you something about somebody's drive, motivation, and so forth. Like, how did you spend your time? Well, because I, I remember you saying like you threw yourself out of airplanes, and that was like, I'm hiring this guy. <laughs> Yeah, where do you see yourself in five years' time? I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I didn't even know I'd be alive at the end of every day. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. point thinking about next week or or anything. Um, brings me back to um, Freud's death drive, <laughs> the pleasure principle and death drive, um, yeah. which I I I heard this. I was thinking Death Star. <laughs> and then, and then this expression. I say it sounds drive. a bit like that. Freud's death drive. Yeah, yeah. The death drive. What's that? So I had to Google it. And you know, this was I don't know a month or so ago, a couple of months ago. I think it was. It came up again and again when I was reading a book on Carl Jung. Um, and this this book I'm reading on Lacan is absolutely awesome i'm really interested in the corner in actual fact i've uh i've um i've actually um what's it enrolled um and done the introductory module of a diploma in um jungian archetypes okay that's right. like 150 hours cpd yeah, for clinical psychologists, strangely <laughs> enough, but but it's a beginner's course, um, and I've probably got the, a really solid foundation in psychology now. So I I, I, I think that what I can approach this and plow it into my English teaching framework, which all stems around things like Jungian archetypes and Campbell's hero's journey. But this death drive kept coming up again and again and again. And I had to figure out, what is this death drive? And it brought me to a Japanese anime, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is my favorite Japanese anime mm -hmm. ever. It's really, really, really deeply psychological. And it turns into complete gibberish in the last few episodes and some of the episodes are named after freudian terms and there's some carl Jung right. in there and stuff like that and basically um the death drive isn't that you know it's not the opposite of the pleasure principle that we should just do everything now and live a sort of hedonistic life of yeah do it eat it fuck it mm. <laughs> um the death drive is that kind of like accepting a mundane life where you're sort of accepting a slow death. <laughs> wow, better safe than sorry. That's the death drive. That's the, the, the drive to like 
basically get a mortgage, settle down, not be fizzy. There used to be a house on my, on my street that had a sign on it saying, this will do. Yeah, yeah. This, that, that, that's kind of it, this will do. In, in full gear. The death drive yeah. is, is being initiated and it's, and it's slowly churning its way towards the grave. Um, and so once I got that, I was like, ah, now all of this makes sense. And it's like um, being an archaeologist, that all this stuff with psychology and philosophy is inside ourselves. Yeah, we thought about it and we think about it when we have a conversation, John. And, and, and yeah. it's all kind of like unearthed. But like by doing some study, you suddenly get a lot more leverage on what you already understood. And now you, ah, that makes sense. Got that it. Sense. It's, it's yeah. got a term. It's got a, it's got a, it's, somebody's put a framework on it that makes sense of the world. Yeah. That's right. And I'm not crazy for thinking that I was the only one who thought about this. I mean, like, we studied time travel on the, on the philosophy course. And this, yeah. It was hilarious. It was dressed up like a Victorian freak. He <laughs> was like, well, um, so I don't like Hitler. So what if I went back in time and shot? Well, I couldn't do it because the gun must jam, you see. And he started talking about the grandfather paradoxes. And he started talking yeah. about things like, no, it couldn't happen. This person says look the, the mission only succeeds if the mission fails so you've got a glaring contradiction and then what is a contradiction and why does it have to be a contradiction and 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 then we started talking about something that fascinated me which was called causal loops right, right yeah you've come across causal loops i know I, yeah i i've i've i covered this uh in I think it's strangely in my communication studies A level because that was a bit of psychology and a bit of philosophy all That's thrown in. Right. But it, it's a long. It, I know I, the term, but you know it because like it's that thing where let's say you take the works of Shakespeare in your time machine, the printed copy of the works of Shakespeare. You take it back in time and you go and meet Shakespeare and go, "Cool, <laughs> this ain't bad. You better write this down, mate." And he writes down to be or not to be. Oh, I like it. They'll love it. They'll love it. <laughs> then punters. Oh, well, uh, help yourself. <laughs> Fill your boots, Mr. Shakespeare. And so, like, basically, you've, you've caused this infinite loop of, well, well, who wrote Shakespeare then? It was Shakespeare, but who wrote it when you've gone back in time anyway these things were mind-blowing and then they just turned this really nice little question of well all right then but how do you know where anything comes from and it's like what oh my god and you're going in your mind right but that only came from this and therefore everything must go back to the big bang but then what was before the Big Bang? Ah, it's another causal loop. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's, 
I mean, I, I, I think as a kid, even I used to get really like I can remember walking across the playground one lunchtime. I must have been about maybe maximum eight years old. It was before I went to middle school. And I remember, I still remember it to this day, having this real kind of existential crisis of trying to work out where the heck, why was I there? Right. And like the, the, the infinite aspect of the universe, okay. the, the, the probability, and, and it's like, I knew nothing of any of these kind of thought, but th there was a profound thing in me that just went, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it just what, doesn't make any sense. I? Yeah, yeah, do yeah. I do I even exist? How do I know that I exist? And these are the sort of things that you're doing when you're like, because philosophy is really the, the sort of science of um, knowing how to ask yeah. questions. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Asking questions to say, well, what do I know, and how do I know that, and can I and can I check that this is and, and, and the question I should be asking? Isn't there another question I should ask instead? And, that's something I love about art because art is an expression of asking questions. Whether it, whether it's you know, you're, you're making a film or a piece of music, mm. you are philosophizing, but in a different medium and trying to wrestle with things. And you're not necessarily looking for the answer, but you're finding a way of asking questions. All right, what's brought that? That's brought me to Lacan, who's my absolute favorite, and he's apparently yes. like a rock star to philosophers. Yeah. His his uh, mm. he, he was a, a, um, a, a clinical psychologist, um, and most of he he's not a he's not someone that wrote a lot of books. He he did most of his um, work by having kind of uh, presentations. It sounds to me like Lacorn was a kind of Jordan Peterson of the 1950s and 1960s, maybe the 1970s as well, okay? Um, but he sort of um, became more of a darling for the philosophers than the other people into um, psychology. Right. But uh, he's famous really for two key kind of contributions to the world of psychology. One is uh, this mirror stage. Um, I don't know if that's familiar, but, you know, um, it's also kind of like combined with a lot of what um, Piaget talks about and stages okay. of development. But Lacan mm. really said there's this time the first time a baby sees itself in the mirror, okay, is a really, really pivotal moment because you cease to just be this thing inside yourself. It's the first time you've seen this unit as a whole. You've externalized mm. your existence in the mirror object, the object that's in the mirror, okay? Right. Now... Um, it's often um, that it's at this point that the baby is also probably going to have the other with him. And the, the first other to any baby is the mother. Um, mm -hmm. The mother's going to be going, oh, who's that? Okay. Now, what Lacan noticed um, was you can sit um, a chimpanzee in front of a mirror 
yeah. And it's like, oh, there's another chimpanzee there. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. I don't see any yeah. interest. Fuck it. Yeah, it's just another chimpanzee. Seen them before or whatever. Mm. It doesn't get that that's me. It doesn't get that that's I, the subject, mm. reflected. Whereas a baby is endlessly fascinated. Okay. And up until that point, the only, you know, you've got um, the other, um, the mother, the father, um, but predominantly it is the mother because the mother's the feeder and, and, and the, the warmth. Right. Now, yeah, yeah. now, now I, I was fascinated by that. And then that gets into a thing about um the way in which the um conscious and the unconscious work um to do with the signifier and the signified and that gets yes. into the language and then mm-hmm. yeah. work starts to make sense and um Lacorn's other um uh great contribution to the world is a thing called RSI, not uh, repetitive stress. This is um, the real, the symbolic and the imaginary. Yeah. And they're not quite what I thought they would be off the names. Because mm. like a lot of the psychologists, they capitalise the first letter of these words so that something that you think means that doesn't mean that, yeah? Mm. Um, like, but essentially, um, the real isn't real. <laughs> it isn't this table real, yeah? No. It's what does it, you know, what's its real um, meaning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the symbolic um, and the imaginary are a little um, closer to what we think of. But he imagines everything being in this um, interconnected loop, a um, bit like the Olympic rings, that they're all intertwined. And it's this, mm-hmm. um, like, moments of... Um, clarity moments where we realize and make the connections are all happening at the intersection of these rings um i haven't got it all figured out yet john but it's bloody interesting no, and, 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 and uh, there, there are some <laughs> there, there are some overlaps there with i mean you can overlap into some of the reality stuff with perception theory and then you can kind of get into macro physics stuff because like a table is only just a combination of atoms and if you can go to a macro level it, it isn't how you perceive it as real and color yeah. is only perceived all those yeah there's, uh, and it gets fascinating when you kind of get into physics and i'm shit at physics but I'm, I'm always intrigued by the physics of these things and i'm intrigued by the biology of things and stuff but i'm not i'm not smart enough to understand the science of it <laughs> and um but it, it, it it's it's the thing about the other and the mother, um, mm. and I don't know the answer to this, I wonder where is it in our kind of uh, evolution as an individual where we put so much uh, faith 
in a in in power or a higher being like 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 it i'm just sort of thinking again right back to where we are at the moment with the pandemic it relies upon this faith that the governments are looking after you and 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 so forth and i just wonder like i wonder where that happens we desire what we lack john we desire what we of lack of course of course and so and then, that's really the answer, isn't it? You've worked one out yourself without me needing to learn Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. I love Lacan, okay? Because, you know, um, a little bit like Freud, yeah, where um, I, I think the, the guy presenting this uh, psychology course, Dr. Bloom, was amazing. Um, yes. But he... Um, talks about Freud and then at the end of it when we're summarizing Freud um, then we go into Skinner um, behaviorism um, but he and he summarizes um, uh, Skinner as well but it's mm -hmm. always interesting that he said look you know a lot of people would say that um, the problem with Freud is that his ideas were not falsifiable um, and so good science, you need a false viability to, to it to make it good science, but it wasn't. Yeah. Doesn't mean that Freud was completely wrong, no. Um, and this, and so, so I like the way it just doesn't discount someone as being a quack because they didn't have the scientific knowledge that we have now. So important. Um, and the same, I think, with um, Lacan, that mm. maybe he's not right with his science, but his ideas and the way of thinking about it that is why he became the darling of the philosophers, because they loved the way that he looked, turned things around and looked at things in different ways um, to make it that he was asking much better questions. And the questions that Lacan tends to ask are things about, well, all right, if this is our desire, what is it that we're lacking? <laughs> that, 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 have you, I don't know whether you've covered Nietzsche much uh, in, in, in this, but I, I was always interested. There was definitely a point when I was sort of studying this at A level and I'm trying yeah. to, rec I, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but um, the, the Nietzschean idea of, 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 of supermen and yeah. the way that that is kind of applied. And I, and I think particularly in recent days, when I look at the way certain governments are working, I think like, actually are the people who run governments very Nietzschean in in because the, they seem to think that they are super men above other people which enables them to do certain things and i was watching i went back to watch rope the other day and rope is all about kind of uh, uh Nietzschean philosophy of like how can we get away with a murder you know okay. and, and 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 the ah. philosophical debate about that so, so I, I just I like think, I mean, Marcus, is, is that part Marcus of the problem yeah that one marcus yeah. comes up with an answer you know uh, where's the perfect place to um, hide a body on a on a battlefield? Where's the mm. where's the best place to hide a diamond in a chandelier? Where's the best place to hide a leaf in a forest? <laughs> mm. So, basically, when you when you become a politician, what is it that you lack? 
Mm. Yeah. What what's driving that desire? It's always a lack. So if I want to become a politician, it's because I perhaps I felt that society lacked somebody with my opinion. Yeah. And that because I'm me, and I, but because I'm 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 suffering this delusion of the spotlight. <laughs> that, well, of course I'm right because well, well because I'm me. Because <laughs> I, I I I think like feel it's like your your duty to actually give society what they need. <laughs> well, I because I I think that is ultimately like I was watching the Dominic Cummings. Uh, uh, press thing the other day and mm. and i've kind of known of, of of dominic for a long time on the fringes of, of of kind of techno politics and stuff and when he was working in the department of education and I've, I've sort of followed his career quite a lot and i've always what i've known of him is he's very nietzschean and thinks he's absolutely right and everybody else doesn't under so almost doesn't understand his oh, brilliance yeah. And he's he, he, he's very much a techno determinist in in the sense of like wants to complete you know he, he he would say you know doing this for the good of society in the way that Facebook say like you know we're doing this to make the world a better place or or, or Google says we're doing this we're not going to be evil I think you know he but he thinks himself above people like he knows better right but, but and I think you get that with politics. Is- yeah. Society's been lacking these pantomime villains. Hey, this is the true. world's full of them. The, the world has been full of them for the last few years. The world should be very... Oh, the, the world isn't very happy. Ah, but we don't want to be happy. We like having a nice old whinge. I mean, this is what Twitter's for. This is what mm. Facebook's for. It's an outlet of our anger and our angst and our bloody... Dominic Cummings. I saw uh, the second coming. It's a punch, it's a punch and Judy it's show, isn't it? it? It's a Punch and Judy show. It, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And and so, like you know, when I when I was making my because you know in my serene little life out here in Japan, the, the morning starts with a little cup of uh, matcha green tea, and I've got my little routine. Sus, where, yeah, get up. Um, first thing I do is make matcha. I like I like the um, routine of mm. heating the uh, bowl. Um, put the matcha powder. You no, know, actually, no. I heat the bowl with some hot water. Pour that away. Put the powder in. Add a little bit of hot water whisk a little bit more and then whisk it until it's frothy and it's like the, the, the way I start my day and and I know the health benefits of drinking matcha okay so when I made this decision July the 1st I really started um, uh, getting myself into good physical shape but it was actually the 1st of June where I made the decision that, damn it, I'm not happy with this XXL shirt buying situation I found myself in. I'm <laughs> going to do something about this because I ain't going there again. Um, so I cut my sugar 
intake down in June last year. And by October, I was in good shape as far as my weight goes. Right. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, that wasn't so difficult. Um, you know what I'm going to do now is I'm going to I'm going to actually build up some muscles. Um, I'm going to make myself like in damn good physical shape. A little bit like, well, I'm going to be like say 55 years old, but bloody hell, <laughs> looks yeah, yeah. like he's 40 or 35 or something. That was my that was my thing. It's like. Yeah, actually, why not? I could do it. So let's do it. And I started doing that. Arrived in January, February, and, you know, I'm in pretty good physical shape there. Um, but I started reading about biohacking. Okay. Now, strangely enough, what's occurred to me is that I don't know if I ever, it ever occurred to me at the beginning. But it's, you know, this circumambulation again of, oh, do you know what I'm actually really doing is recognizing that, okay, well, I've got myself in pretty good physical shape. What's my weakness? Mental shape. Staying home, doing this. Yeah. If you're not careful, Kevin, you're going to go bloody mental. You're going to lose it. You're going to get, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. if you've got a weakness, yeah, it's gonna be coping with like your parents are on the other side of the world, yeah, and you worry about them. And and if something happens, I can't get on a plane, yeah, because I'm gonna have to do about one month of quarantine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this ain't. Something so I've got to do something to get a grip on my um, uh, um, mentality to make mm. myself. Now I know how to do this with my physicality, but can I do this with my? You know what I need to do then? I need to start reading some books, and I need to start yeah. thinking. I don't need to sit down and start like feeding, like anxiety, paranoia. I don't need to yeah. be feeding all of these um, things that can get out of control. And I don't need to be having arguments about politics with people. And I don't need to be watching the news. And this is what I need to do then. So I've adapted back to where we started. I've, I've used the pandemic to learn something about myself and to actually refine myself and change myself and tweak this a little bit and change that that's what to do with a pandemic john i think well, it, it, well and that's the thing because i think i was thinking the other day i mean this this goes back to some of the sort of maps and meaning stuff uh i think it was because like zach snyder announced he was releasing this four-hour cut of of, of justice league in it and uh, there's, there's all this sort of online all this online debate of like what what he did with these superheroes and he was playing like more investigating like human beings shouldn't have gods and gods that play out like this cause damage and he was really exploring that and a lot of people didn't like that because they said that's not what what it's about and i was sort of thinking about superman and it comes back to the, this sort of nietzschean thing of superman and then the actual superman and it's kind of like interesting 
because when did we when when was Superman invented? It must have been like late thirties, early forties. So around the time of this huge, real kind of existential thing going on in, in in society, and people needed to look to something like this thing that swoops down and saves all humanity. It's the same as as as, as you know the notion of Jesus saving everybody. It's that that you know you want you want somebody to come and take all of that away. And, you know, wow. I even think about like Charles Atlas holding up the earth, that, 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 that kind of the, the muscle, the strength, the, the Superman. And then I think actually what kind of makes us supermen is enlightening ourselves to deal with our own shit yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. waiting for a Superman to come and fix it. Because as we see with like Trump and, and the British government, they're not there. They're not going <laughs> to they're not going to be there for you. So you have you have to do it in your mind, in your community, and with the people around you, you know, and, and I think that's the thing I started to think so much about in this pandemic of like, I want to do stuff that is fun with people, I want to have conversations with people that expand my mind or expand my joy. I do not want to waste any more time with the pollution and I, you know I, I think definitely i got into a headspace during brexit and that where it's just so much pollution and i felt and it, it's it's slightly it's the slightly letting go of the country you're from and, and and so forth and it's a bit of your identity for sure but i realize i, I just can't be bothered with that toxicity anymore well this, yeah because you, you use the word toxicity i use the word farty <laughs> it's all a bit fart. yeah Some yeah farted into our uh, um, planet's atmosphere and then everybody else is tweeting out little love puffs and farty yeah the world starting to stink from people's farting and and so is what can what can be done about it um well my Wim Hof breathing exercises. I can hold my breath for four and a half minutes now. <laughs> and that's a physical that becomes reality. The coping, that becomes the yeah. coping mechanism. Of, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, well, but no, I, 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 how, how much longer can I hold my mental breath to not be triggered by the damn stench of all this farty, toxic environment we live in? And, and this is why I found myself actually becoming so much stronger through this pandemic that now, hey, it's the last day for me to be staying home and not going to work unless Japan has a second spike. Um, that could happen. Um, but right where I'm at at the moment is, well, I'm going back to start teaching tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how things work. I've got another course on Jungian um, archetypes that's going to take me about a month, maybe maybe longer, maybe shorter, um, to complete. Um, but I'm also looking forward to meeting up with some of my Japanese friends because I can kind of road test what I've been doing with my English teaching framework and go, ah, kind of field test it or whatever. So I've got this on the go. I've got like stuff to do with the psychology. And now that 
I've got this foundation, it means I can read about my favourite um, psychoanalysts. Like, um, uh, I want to read much more about Lacan. I want to read a lot of Carl Jung's works. Um, Nietzsche, I think I should read some of his work as well. Um, Kafka. <laughs> um, yeah. I, no, no, no. I, I think I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a new place. I've got a new platform where, like, now I'm really looking forward to the next year or so of actually consuming more. Yeah, and I've even mm. found that, um, like, what was hilarious was that the algorithm must have read from my Facebook posts that I'm into Carl Jung. <laughs> because I saw an advert for this Jungian archety archetypes course, yeah, that uh, it was discounted from about $130 to $29. So you're mm. saving $98. And I was like, yeah, but really, is it any good? And I, and I thought, okay, well, let's have a look at they say they're accredited with CPD points and blah 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 and check this out and it and it checked out and I went okay then well if it's really useless um okay I lose twenty nine dollars but maybe it isn't useless I'll give it a punt um I've 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 only read the introduction or whatever and it seems pretty damn good and it's exactly what I needed to be able to feed that into what I'm trying to design with my um, English teaching framework, because it's mm. about this um, uh, um, thing within the collective unconscious of any person in any culture, all identifying with certain archetypal figures, be it the wizard, be it the um, hero, be it the... Yep. Um, by variant brother, by variant father, sorry, by variant mother. Um, mm. so, so kind of at the same time, I'm still like meditating on maps and meaning because that's like my Wim Hof breathing exercise. I hold my breath and I then hit the audio book to maps and meaning. And Every single time Peterson says something of profound importance that's mind-blowing, and I'm like holding my breath, going, I'm going to write that down when I'm finished. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think, I think, uh, and 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 uh, our our time is almost our ninety minutes is running up. But um, yeah, I think I think like what you described there is is at the beginning of this pandemic, the kind of anxiety and the kind of oh my god and yeah. and all of that and wrestling with that. But then right. through a process, you've kind of built up your own resistance and your, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like you could say, like, you know, it's no good waiting for Superman. You've got to kind of build yeah. up your own superhumanity to, to deal with it. And, and, and the That's things right. that you're discussing there are, 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 very, are very true. So you've, you've kind of, I, I, yeah, it's you kind how, of, how do you build up the resistance to get ready for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it ain't coming. It wasn't on yeah. that last bus either. And it doesn't need a bus. So I no, I, be, I, better get, I better get a cape for myself. Yeah, yeah. I better make my own cape. <laughs> cool, mate. All right, that, that, 
that was a good session uh, and I think uh, we, should, we should leave it on that notion because I've got a nice mental picture of you in a cape now and uh, I think um, uh, we, we should carry that on next, next time yeah excellent excellent cheers mate cheers John Thank you.